Well, uh, as we get started this morning, um, if you want to flip there already to get your uh, finger in the right place of your Bible, it's, uh, we're in the book of Acts. We are in the very last bit of chapter 2, so 2, 42 to 49. We're going to be going through that. But uh, I want to catch you up on the story of where we've been in this book, because uh, the followers of Jesus just had this massive, huge spiritual moment. That on the day of Pentecost, they had a room gathered about 120 people. You can guess roughly this, this many people is the total amount of followers of Jesus at that point. And then the Holy Spirit, for the first time, comes and fills all of the people. And they begin to speak in different languages and in tongues. And in a single day, a room of this becomes a room of 3,000 people are added in a single day. You could imagine what that would feel like as a moment of what is happening here. And I think sometimes in our own spiritual lives, we have these giant moments um, where you just think maybe God breaks through into your life in some way. Um, one of the ones I think of fondly in my own life, we were planting a church here in town at, um, where AMC now, it used to be Movie Co. And we had all the logistics of a church and a movie theater, and it was like there's so many details to try to make kids happen where there's, you know, theoretically sticky popcorn everywhere, like, and all the details happened, and we were doing this practice setup, and we just on a, you know, we pulled out Spotify, and we played the song Holy Spirit, you know, like, Holy Spirit, come flood the place and fill the atmosphere, like, and we just sang along with Spotify, a team of about 20 of us, and it was like this huge holy moment, and like, I, I still get goosebumps thinking about it, in theater five of AMC on the left, um, it, it was like this sacred moment. But what happens after those moments, I think, can be so important. Because we can chase from moment to moment to moment, and if the followers of Jesus are just sitting around waiting for the next moment, I think they would miss out on something. And we're going to see what is it that they do. We're going to get this snapshot of what daily life in the early church is. So hopefully you're already there, Acts 2, 42. Uh, Read with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We have this picture here of what seems incredibly ordinary, but also extraordinary, right? It's this supernaturally but natural moment in the rhythms of what people were doing together. And so like you can just imagine the logistics. In the day of Pentecost, it was this gathering of people from all around. So if using us as that example, imagine we have people coming from Northern California and Arizona and people flying in for this huge, massive day. And the people who were saved on Pentecost, they stayed. And so all of a sudden, all of us are hosting people in our houses, some of you dozens of people in your houses, and those people didn't have jobs, and so we're having to share food, and we're trying to figure things out, 
And this church it has this huge identity moment of we are in this together. And we're learning for the first time how Jesus is the center of our life and the center of who we are. And the way they express that, I think the main word in this passage is devotion. They devoted themselves. In that first sentence, it kind of, they, they walk through the four areas that they devoted themselves to, to teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And it's, it's fun because when we think of devoting ourselves, and that's one of those main words that we have as a church, like we want to be a people who are devoted. Devotion is not just this emotional feeling of, hey, we are committed to having significant feelings towards Jesus. It's like, that's irrelevant. I'm devoted to my wife because I have habits and commitments I've made towards her. And my devotion is seen through my actions. And for this early church, their devotion is seen through these habits of community, of how do we pursue the Holy Spirit together. So let's just walk through these four different habits, and it's amazing how Jesus is in the center of all these. The first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Their teaching wasn't just spiritual stuff. It is centered on the person of Jesus. That for them, you can imagine that the early church, this is coming out of Judaism. So everyone who's a part of the church at this moment grew up Jewish. And so they understood what we call the Old Testament. They just called the scriptures, right? And so all of a sudden, they had this puzzle piece. They had the frame. Maybe they had the, the sky. They had the ground. But they never had the centerpiece of the puzzle. And the great revelation was that the mystery of this Messiah, this one that God was going to send, it's Jesus. And suddenly the puzzle of their faith is like, I get it. And so all of their teaching is about Jesus. It's fun because Jesus, after he rose, there's like these different stories where he was walking around and he would show up to his disciples for 40 days after he rose, teaching them about the scriptures, walking through saying, remember how in the book of Exodus, there's this food from heaven called manna? It was actually about me. Hey, remember the book of Daniel, how there's this huge judge who's going to come before the world? It's the son of man. It was me. Hey, in this story after story after story, they're understanding that Jesus is God. He's the God we've been serving our whole life. We now know who he is. And so this community, they center themselves on Jesus and the reason why we want to do teaching is because we want to know the accuracy of what is true about Jesus. We do the same thing, right? For us, we believe that teaching is important. That's why we do it on a Sunday morning, because we want to know who is Jesus? Who are we in light of Jesus? Right? We believe in the gospel, the very, very good news that comes in the background of some very bad news, that the world is a very broken place. That there's a good chance your family is a broken family. There's a good chance that if you look in the mirror, you might not like some of the things you see because there's brokenness everywhere. God made this world perfect, but we have fallen and twisted and distorted what should have been. And we long for that. We try to save ourselves, but we cannot rise above. We cannot fix. We need someone to save us. The great news is that God is not just a creator. God wants us to know him as a father. And so he loves us and he redeems us. 
And so Jesus is the God who comes to redeem us. That's the very good news. And we center ourselves on this teaching, just like they did 2,000 years ago. Second thing they look at is fellowship. Now, the word fellowship is, um, I think we, we throw it around a lot of times. Um, it's like, oh, it's like the Christian word for friendship, right? Um, that ends up being how we use it more often than not, but it's more than friendship. I think fellowship is this connection over identity. Once again, Jesus is at the center. Now, um, I'm going to do a confession moment for you guys. I'm a 49er fan. Um, and if you are too, we could, afterwards, we can meet and commiserate and talk about the refs, and we can, we can have this deep moment. That was like a pity laugh. I appreciate it, though. I appreciate it. We can have this moment where we identify over a team or something like that, and we connect over that. And I think that's like a kind of what we're talking about. But we're not talking about some mere external identity. We're talking about the core of who I am as a child of God. And so when we connect, it's not just friendship. There's this unity of like, whoa, I am meeting someone from the first time, but I'm actually meeting my brother or I'm meeting my sister. I think this happens easiest when you go across cultural boundaries because they're so unlike you. I think um, different mission trips and different stories where I've met people who are following Jesus. Um, just this, this time last year, I was in Southeast Asia and meeting somebody. He's a pastor, oversees kind of these remote villages, about 300 believers. And as we start to talk and connect, the circumstances of our life almost have nothing in common. But there's this deep, like, kindred mutuality and friendship of, like, I love you. You're my brother. Like, they're pre- like, it's amazing. And that's the kind of fellowship that we're talking about here. The third one is breaking of bread, um, which, if you want to translate it, it means eaten, right? No, another G, just eaten. They're eaten together all the time. And if the logistics of 3,000 people are being hosted in everyone's meals, guess what? It's the perpetual cleaning of the kitchen, the preparing of food. It's like, yeah, because food matters. If you look at the scriptures, most of how Jesus communicates a lot of like who he is ends up being through meals and festivals, which I really appreciate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you want to get to know someone, if you want to get to know different cultures, think of how much of our cultural identity is in the food we eat and how we serve and how we prepare it. That's like, if I want to get to know you, you invite me over to your house. Hey, here's how we eat. I think of Courtney's family. They eat the same traditional Slovakian meal every Christmas Eve. It's part of this identity that we have together. I was brought into that. I I married in, and it's like 17 years in. Now it's part of my meal. When they break bread, though, they're not technically referring to communion here. But we also know from other parts of Scripture that every time they seem to make meals, they would have communion together. And so think about, like, as a community group, when we meet, when you have a bunch of people over your house, all of a sudden you take this, common, you know, everyone's slicing bread of the, the French bread loaf, and you're like, hey, you know what? We're going to take something normal. We're going to take this bread in the middle of the table and say, hey, guys, this is who we are. That in the same way this bread I'm going to break in half, Jesus' body was broken for you. They grab their drinks and this cup of wine, it reminds us that who we are is because Jesus shed his blood for us. 
and we take this remembering what he has done for us, but also that he's coming back. It's the centered on their identity in Jesus. And the last thing they have is prayer. And in the Jewish context, they're going to have a lot of history with prayer, right? They are, they are God's chosen people. He was using them to show the world what he is like. And so they have tons of prayers. They have the calls to prayer and different prayers that, they're called, that, that they would do together. But what was unique is Jesus taught them something different about prayer. That instead of having to go to a special temple and have a special person, a priest, pray on your behalf, and that person could offer sacrifices, what was so revolutionary about Jesus' teaching on prayer is that God actually wants you to call him Abba, right? He wants you to call him Daddy, and you can pray anywhere because he hears you. And so you can imagine for them the fact that they can pray in their bedrooms, in their living rooms, over meals, as they are working in the, like, wait, I can just call God whenever I want? Yes. And they're devoting themselves to talk to God. I don't need to ask Bob to pray for me. I can, but I can also pray for me. <laughs> I can pray for Bob. I, I, we are now the priests together. And so they devoted themselves to these four practices. They made a habit of, this is important. This is how we express ourselves. As a church, we've been talking so much about walking in the Spirit and how do we open ourselves up to the Spirit. It looks like devotion to certain practices. If we're just waiting for the Holy Spirit to kind of like slap us in the head and like communicate to us, it's like, that happens every now and then, but you know what he tends to do when I'm devoting myself to the Scriptures? He tends to speak through the, all of a sudden what I'm reading that day. As I'm living in fellowship, all of a sudden I'm talking to Cody and he has a word for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think it's actually a word from God. And he's using his people. As we're gathering and we're praying, suddenly there's like this moment that could have, like, it comes through, we walk in the spirit by having good habits. That's how we have a good marriage. That's how we have good friendships. That's how you become a good employee, employer. It's your habits. It's not just waiting for these supernatural moments that blindside you. And so we can see here the early church is just committed not to just pursuing big things, but this supernaturally natural gathering, pursuing God in one another, committing themselves to these habits. And I'd be remiss just to think like a passage like this, we want to hold up a mirror and look at ourselves as a church. This passage explains so much of what we do here at Anthem. Um, I don't want to just look in the mirror and say, hey, high five, guys. We nailed it. Passage is over. Like, Ryan's fist bumping. Yeah. But so much of what we do as a church is, looks like what this passage does. We, we're, we're convinced the same habits are good for us now as it was for them then. And so we see ourselves Sunday mornings and community groups, midweek small gatherings in homes. They're two halves of the same whole. They met in the temples and in homes. We meet, this isn't a temple, this is a place of drywall. The roofs mostly hold up. We meet here, and we also meet in homes. And so much of our practices are going to be in those two different spots. We want to have meals together because they're awesome. And there's a, there's a connection that happens over meals. right? We commit ourselves to teaching, not just on Sunday, although teaching takes the majority of our time gathered together because we want to find the person of Jesus, but also in community groups, we're discussing deeper in the same scriptures. I think of also, we're, we're, we're committing ourselves to following God. We're, 
We're doing a New Testament reading plan, right? We're, we're saying, hey, I want to understand this. I want this to be my mind. I want to meditate on it. So as a church, we're reading the New Testament together this, this year. We share. I talk about how they would sell property and they'd give to those who have need. One of the fun things, it's, this isn't as well known, but one of the privileges that me and Ryan tend to share together is our church has a fund. We call it the Acts 2 fund because of this passage where we have, it's separate from our church's budget and people give to this fund. And it's like, hey, this is for anyone who has need. And one of the privileges we get to have, because that tends to be more hidden. Many people probably are learning about this for the first time. But it's because our church would say, you know what? Someone's going to need this. And three months later, sure enough, someone's like, hey, writer's strike happened. I haven't worked in months and months and months. What can I do? And it's like, the church, we want to care for one another. And so we put our money literally where our mouth is. We share. We respond in worship. After I'm done teaching, we're going to have singing. We're going to take communion. We're going to have prayer with one another. We're going to encourage just the sharing because that's how we respond. These are good practices to devote ourselves to. It talks about their generosity. And I think as a church, we talk about celebrate generosity a lot. Where if you don't remember, like just a few months ago for our anniversary, we gave away over like $220,000, $25,000 as a church. But we also give away 10% of our budget. If you, if you total it together, this is a rough math estimate. Don't hold me to this number. We give away about 25% of everything that comes into our church. That's actually our giving number as a church, 25%, because we know that generosity is something. That's how we pursue God with one another. We commit ourselves to prayer. As an elder team, we're always gathering to pray. We talk through different situations and different difficulties with marriage and people going through um, different, you know, valley of the shadow of death, just walking through hard things, and we pray for one another. We respond in prayer. We have prayer before the service. We have prayer in community groups. We have the prayer room because we see these habits they devoted themselves to. And we're like, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Let's do that. And this is how we walk in the spirit with one another. So I do think, in one sense, I want us to look at the mirror and say, this is well done, Anthem. Like, I love being a part of this church. I think we have some of the same habits they had there. And I think this is a very beautiful place. But there's something more than just them having a bunch of good habits together. And this is something you can see in the passage. It's that the, the writer of Acts, Luke, he wants us to see that the church is now the temple. All right? Because these different habits and these functions that's happening here amongst the church are the very things that were supposed to be happening in the temple all along. Let me, now, work with me for a little bit here. I want you to, I'm going to use a Venn diagram. Hear me out. We have this concept of heaven being the place where God is, right? It is filled with his glory and God exists in heaven. And we can feel like way over here is earth. It's where we belong. Right? Okay, so we have God's space, it's awesome, our space, and it feels very broken. And what the temple was, was the Venn diagram of, this is the space where heaven and earth meet. God's presence is in the temple. It's kind of his house. It doesn't contain all of him, but like, it's that, you know, Google pin of where God's presence would be here on the planet. And so you go to the temple to interact with God. 
And you have the special people who would allow you to, you know, they'd sacrifice for God. And all that relationship with God was happening through that spot in the Venn diagram of the temple. The temple had different functions and jobs it was supposed to do to represent God. But the church now is that, and I don't mean a building. There's not a different temple and now it's Arcturus. It's the people of God. The big story that just happened earlier in this chapter is Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit isn't filling a building, but he is filling the people. What he's been promising for a long time. And so I'm going to show you a verse here. 1 Peter 2.5. That Peter, he's the, you know, Jesus' first follower. He's the leader of the early church. And look how he reflects on this. You yourselves, like, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That the image isn't that there is this new building. It's that the Holy Spirit fills Bob and James and Henry and Kristen. And that as we interweave our lives, it's like a mason stacking bricks on one another. And the Spirit fills us, and we are now the temple of God's presence. That's why we talk about when we go to different places, we're bringing the presence of God. Now, God exists in all of creation, but there's something unique about us as temples of the Holy Spirit that when I go into my broken family, I'm bringing the presence of God and I can change this. I can bring a little taste of where heaven is to a place if I act according to the kingdom. But look at what the church is doing. They're having prayers and sacrifices They're not sacrificing animals anymore. They remember Jesus was that sacrifice. They're teaching in the courts. That's where you would go to learn was at the temple. They're caring for the poor. There's all this stuff in Leviticus about how the function of the temple was supposed to care for the poor, and they would have different gatherings and offerings so they can redistribute. In the book of Acts, you're going to start seeing this contrast where you have the religious leaders and those who would care for the physical temple And now you have the church, and you see corruption happening here, and you're going to see, wow, the Spirit is now filling his people. And it's the church, the gathering of God's people, that is now fulfilling what God wanted the temple to do all along. And so when we think about that, when we act as we are, as the temple, it's going to be different, right? That Venn diagram, when we're acting the way Jesus asks us to, it's going to be different. In a world that wants to only look good, that wants to judge and try to find one ways to jockey with one another, when we're acting according to Jesus and his kingdom, all of a sudden those things, when we reveal shortcomings, grace can actually be extended. Not just judging, but actual empathy and compassion. That in a world that wants to fight for power and see who's most important, in Jesus' kingdom, it's like, actually, if you want to be first, go, go last. Find the back of the line and serve. Take on the role of servant. In fact, that's what Jesus showed us, that even though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he lowers himself to the role of servant. He chose it. We get to act differently because God has made us differently. There's this amazing quote from Gary Brashears, and I'm going to have it up here, talking about how the, the, the people of God is now the temple. I'm going to read out my notes here. 
The church prefigures and pictures the messianic kingdom. It should be a place where non-believers can look to see what the kingdom life will be like when Christ reigns and the Spirit directs and empowers. It should be a place of grace where sin is brought to light so that the sinner may experience forgiveness and healing. It should be a place typified by joyous celebration and awe-filled reverence for the awesome majesty of Yahweh. Its people will be motivated by gratitude for the grace of the omnipotent, just God. They will respond to him with a sense of privilege and joy as friends rather than servants. And when the church fulfills this office, right, when the church acts this way, its people don't ask, what must we do, but what may we do? The church can be the place of heaven. Literally, we can exhibit a foretaste of what heaven on earth looks like if we are willing to humble ourselves and follow the ways of Jesus. It's not just good habits, although it certainly starts with good habits, but there's something supernaturally going on where God himself fills us and we represent a whole new world. And I love that in this passage, they talk about the kind of this result of like, well, actually, look at the very last verse. Look at 249. Got to flip back there. There we go. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. It's not referring to just the people in the church. We're talking about the people in the city. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. That I think our world has an appetite and a longing for what we were made for, God. And we want to experience the things of God. And when the church acts like this, it's compelling. We don't have to pretend to be anything other than what Jesus has made us into. We want that. In this normal, everyday experience of good habits, it looks like heaven of the Holy Spirit filling people, and you can just belong. Unfortunately, I don't know if many of us experience this. I don't know if many churches look like this all the time. And so I want to spend most of our, the rest of our remaining time just thinking about, like, what gets in the way of this? Because there's natural enemies set against us. The, tr- the classical enemies against your, you and your spiritual life is the world, the flesh, and the devil. You can go through lots of different writings. We talk about this. We've talked about it as a church many times. The world just being the culture, the expectations, the norms, right? That we just assume this is the way it's supposed to be. It's the world. The flesh meaning my own desires and wrong thinking and emotion, like things that are kind of like broken, and then the devil, like, yeah, there's a spiritual enemy we have just exacerbating and using our flesh in the world as a catalyst against us. And so one of the ideas of what holds us back, and this is a big concept, um, just go with me on this one, is in our culture, we see ourselves as a bunch of individuals, we act as a bunch of consumers, and so we go from place to place to place trying to consume good teaching and good spiritual experiences. 
And so we can look like, you know what, my face, it's me and Jesus. It's very private. So you, you know, we'll be friends, but the second you're against me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retreat back into being an individual. And we're consumers. We look for the places that are going to give us those spiritual moments, right? Oh, I like this one. I don't like this one. I'm going to find a new podcast. I'm going to keep finding the place that has the best teaching I can find. I'm going to find a place that, like, oh, this one seems to be full of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to go run over here. And so this expectation amongst the Christian community, I think, is we become nomads, going from place to place to place to place to place, seemingly following the Holy Spirit, but we never actually gain the benefits of a community of fellow believers saying we are going to act as a family because that's what we are. I'm going to show you 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there, this is, a, this is such a good passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth about spiritual gifts and just how the Holy Spirit is going to fill each other, but how it works together. Look at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given the experience of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And then it goes on and it continues on. We're just going to pause there for now. The point of this passage is that the Holy Spirit, if we have this individual approach to our spiritual life, we are getting like an eighth of the Spirit. Because he's not giving you by yourself the experience you have. He's saying, I'm, I'm building you into this family. The next part, he's going to talk about the analogy of a body. And he's going to say, here's how the Spirit works. That sometimes he's going to give Kristen the gift of teaching. And that is for the common good. And you need the Spirit to work through her and her teaching gift for you to experience what the Spirit wants to do in that moment. And then to Dottie, he might give the gift of healing. And I need to be healed. But he's saying, yes, and the salve to what I want to do from you, for you is going to come through someone else that I'm also filling. And so the Holy Spirit intentionally is binding us and bringing us together into his people. And it says that these gifts is not my superpower. It's not like, hey, I'm a guy who has the gift of teaching. It's for the common good. It is for the sake of others. And so think about this. If we live as this individual and consuming and going everywhere we can, we think we're getting the best of all the above, right? I'll be a part of five churches. That way I can gain the best of all those five things. But we actually get the worst bit because we cut ourselves off from the Holy Spirit's using of other people in our lives. I don't get to receive the gifts the Spirit wants to give me if I don't have other people in my life. Sure, God is a good God, and he's going to care for us, and he's going to love us, and he'll, he'll meet us in our time of need, but we're cutting off our own legs by living this way. But I think what we really lose is if I have the gift of serving, and I am not serving, 
I lose out on the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me. See, a lot of times, if we're consumers, we start to approach a Sunday morning and think, I went to church, was it good? Worst question you can ever ask. <laughs> like, hey, was God good today? Like, that sounds like a very like, rally question, but um, you get the idea of like, what are we talking about? Sometimes, or for me, my best experiences of Anthem, it's coming through conversations. My favorite experiences is when I go and help out in kids, I'm like, I am so lost. What the heck do I do? It's like, oh my gosh, God used me. For 15 years, I was a middle school pastor, which if you serve in middle school, you are God's gift to this church. (laughs) You're all laughing, and that's why. (laughs) Because in an age that is by definition just hard and confusing, the world wants to pull away from them. And you love them, and they just act like middle schoolers back. You get the experience of the flowing of the Spirit's power, not just to you, but actually through you when we serve in these places. What's Easter going to look like? I promise you, you have an opportunity to have the Holy Spirit flow, not just to you, but also through you when we serve. It's not obligations of, hey, it's a family, everyone has their chores, do your chore. It's The Holy Spirit wants to do something here in Thousand Oaks, and he wants to use us. He's going to use our vocal cords. He's going to use our hands. He's going to use our feet. Sometimes he uses our wallet. He uses it to represent him to this world. And we don't experience that if we go with the flow of this cultural expectation of just find the good stuff. We actually lose on the best stuff. So the challenge is to put down roots, right? Grass is green where you actually water it. (laughs) Not just keep looking for green grass everywhere. Put down roots and root yourself in. And if not here, we don't think we're the only local church that is good. There's many. Find a place, but root yourself in somewhere that is good for you. And sometimes the good for you is the things you get to do in that place, and it's the Spirit flowing through you. Second um, thing that gets in the way three words. Good. Okay. Fine. I'm the parent of a middle schooler. Um, And most questions are responded to with good. Okay. Fine. As a church, how's it going? Fine. Good. We put up this facade at times that life has to be good. Right? Everyone here looks like they got their life pretty buttoned. Most people have a, a smile one way or another, either plastered on or authentically on. But life's fine. It's great. It's good. And if we have this facade of in, you know, invulnerability with one another, we lose out on the ability of experiencing what they're experiencing here. And so if we do that, all of a sudden our community groups are just awful and boring and pointless. Because we're not going to share, we're not going to share our doubts. We're not going to speak. Um, it is really funny. So I'm all the time put two different words together, and so I'll like I'll take this word, this word, and I just say half of each, and my kids love it. Um, and somehow God's like, yeah, we'll use you to speak. I'm like, okay. Um, If we're not willing to actually share, these are the unanswered prayers in my life. I don't know what to do. This is what 
my family looks like when people aren't in the house with us. This is the part of my faith I don't know what to do with, or this part of the Bible, I don't know. If we don't share that, we don't get to experience the power of the Holy Spirit to us. And we're just pretending. And you can probably pretend for a few months, maybe a few years, but eventually it's like, this is worthless. What are we doing here? We don't answer questions because we don't want to guess the wrong answer. We can't share when we're stuck. And the Holy Spirit wants to do something. He actually wants to minister and care for the real version of you. We just have to let him. If you're still in 1 Corinthians, flip over. There's another one. There's 2 Corinthians. We're also in chapter 12. The same author of 1 Corinthians is Paul. He wrote this as well. So when the Corinthian church was just a nightmare, and he actually keeps writing them letter after letter after letter. Um, And he starts here talking about his own experience. That when we think of Paul, you know, the guy's writing scripture, he's going from place to place, very accomplished. But we see here like kind of a, him revealing what he's really experiencing. That he has this problem, he calls it a thorn in his flesh. And he's like, God, please remove this, please remove this, please remove this. Look at what he says here. The result of all this prayer, of what God says to him, he writes down for us to benefit. He said to me in verse 9, this is God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. (laughs) He's not saying I'm going to acknowledge that, yeah, technically my weaknesses are correct. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We need to decide if we believe this is true. Because part of me wants to say, (laughs) cool, I'm also strong when I feel strong. (laughs) When I feel competent, please, Lord, use that. But what Paul is saying here, Paul, who's writing New Testament, is saying the actual strength and power of the Holy Spirit comes on me when I'm confused and weak and unknowing and seeing my sin in my own life. He's like, yeah, that's when you experience the power of God. And so as a people, if we want to experience the power of God, we can't be good, okay, and fine. We're cutting ourselves off. We're walling ourselves off. It's it's a defense mechanism. We're trying to keep ourselves safe. But we're actually cutting ourselves off from the very thing we would long for. If that's you, I want to challenge you. There's a good chance maybe you're already in a community group because you're showing up. Take a risk. Be vulnerable. Maybe this week is the week you show up in your community group and you say, you need to know what I'm, how I'm, what I'm really going through this right now. And then all of a sudden you can have the ministry of the Spirit through God's people. And something can be different. The third thing that I think can get in our way 
is what's going through your mind right now. It's our past. For some of us, it's a great past that maybe we are a part of a church or a spiritual community that looked like this, and we're like, man, I miss that. And the problem is the present moment can never compete, right? Our memories of the past can never compete with the present moment because they're just idolized. And we just think it's great, great, great. It's not that. And so sometimes having a great past can get in the way. But as I was talking about the idea of being vulnerable with a group of people, my suspicion is several of us in the room, we have a hurt past. We were doing things, we were working, and we were sharing, and we were hurt and rejected. And we experienced pain from the people who were supposed to represent God to us. The response is, I feel for you. (laughs) I've been there as well. In fact, my suspicions, if we looked around this room, probably most of us have been there at some point, at some level. We've been hurt. The good news is if we were to devote ourselves back to God's teaching here, we see that as much as we strive to be like heaven and be like Jesus, God is actually good. As much as we strive to be, we fall short. But we look at Jesus. Jesus is a healer. And there is hope, not just of your future life, (laughs) but also of this present moment, that healing can happen. That there are places and pockets where heaven breaks through and people of God act as the people of God, and that God can use people in your life. I think of the story in the end of Genesis. You have Joseph who just has the worst brothers. They seek to, you know, instead of murdering him, they sell him into slavery because that's better. Um, And after years and in a position of power, he says this line where he says, you meant evil for me, but God used it for good. And when we have a God who is a healer, he can redeem a cross, a bloody murder, and bring about a resurrection. That's the very thing we believe. And that can happen for you as well. That can happen for me as well. And so we have to hold to Jesus that he is making things new, including my experience of what a community of believers can be. And so I invite you guys that we have to open up our hands and be willing to experience something new. If we only keep ourselves safe, we're not going to experience the very thing we want. We're not going to have the power of the Spirit because we're trying to just preserve what we can. But we know God exists, we'll do the church thing. It, It just falls apart. The response kind of to all this, it's not going to be this grandiose moment. I think the best response to this passage, we don't, get, right, we don't get to control these moments of awe where the spirit breaks through, but we can control the normal, everyday things we devote ourselves to. And I think the best way we respond to this, I mean, we're going to have the band come up, wherever the band is hiding. There, there's a band member. Um, we're going to sing. We're going to take communion. We're going to have people who can pray for you because you We need prayer, and we want to devote ourselves to this. We give money. We do all these things in response. But I genuinely think the best way to respond to this 
is not what's going to happen in the next 15 minutes in this room. It's going to be, how am I going to live the next 15 months, <laughs> the next 15 years? What are the things I'm going to devote myself to? And maybe looking in the mirror, some of these things that are getting in the way for you, and saying, okay, God, I'm scared. Help me be different with this. I'm hurt. I need you to transform this. I need you to, to change my pain. It is possible. I don't know how the Spirit is going to do it, but I know he has safe, amazing, loving people. And the big word for all this is that this community looks like a place full of love. And that's what we get to be. Right? Well, they'll know we're followers of Jesus by our love for one another. And so we get to respond in great love for one another. Not just love for God, but actually we see that love for God as we love each other. And so let's respond and think through, God, what is it you're inviting me into right now? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I know that this can feel like a <laughs> scary or painful moment to bring things up. But God, we trust that you really are present and that you really do love us and you really do care for us. And so God, I pray that we can live this out, not just in our past, Lord, but even right now, that we can have so much love, so much grace, that there's such safety here that we can use our gifts with one another and admit we need one another. So God, we respond to you and we want to look at you so that we can also be filled with you and be the place that looks like you as well. Amen.